So, Lucy, how's the book going? Slowly. Very slowly. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) How's your book going, Robin? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Almost at the end, and now I am in panic mode. (laughs) That's exciting. (laughs) Oh, God. All right. This is right for me, right for you, and we're definitely going to write a book this year, Lucy. We're definitely going to write a book this year. Definitely. Despite the despite the uh, fires that yeah. are surrounding us, it is yeah. not apocalyptic at all outside. It's incredibly apocalyptic looking outside. And we are really lucky because the city that we're in is like not currently knock on. I'm literally going to knock on wood. I hope that you can hear this. We are not endangered in our city, but like everyone outside of our city kind of is. And it's terrible. So we're distracting ourselves by actually recording today instead of just sitting around refreshing our news feeds. Yeah, exactly. Like, for future and current, frankly, listeners, since we're recording these kind of haphazardly ahead of time, um, it's just after Labor Day in September 2020, and Oregon's on fire. Yeah, so is Northern California, and um, all of California, it's pretty awful, and really terrifying, and a really terrible time to try to focus on any kind of creative project. Um, Yeah, that's not great. Yeah, I mean, that could be said of all of this year. Yeah, exactly. No, we knew that we were doing something kind of um, unwieldy when we launched this this year, but we're still still working on it. Yeah. So speaking of that, we are over half the year through, Robin, and we're supposed to be done with the book in three months. (laughs) Yeah. And we're both having some struggles, right? Yeah. 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 So you're much closer to this goal than me, so tell me about how that is going. <laughs> Alright, so I I am literally like two chapters away from finishing the book. Like, oh. I need to get to the big climactic ending, and then I need to write the big climactic ending. And then like, whatever, like, nice little wrap up right after that. Like, I'm so close I am definitely already 15,000 words over the word limit I should be at, and I'm definitely going to write another 20,000 words at least to get to the end, and then I'm going to have to go through and cut out like 30 to 40k words before my agent sees it so that she doesn't (laughs) have to cry because New Yorkers aren't doing great this year, and I don't need her to look at something that is like so many words that it's going to just... I don't know, like, break her computer. Like, that's ridiculous. So because I'm in this place, first of all, ending a book is really stressful. And I, like, we probably should be kind of writing about that, right? Like, we probably should be kind of discussing that right now, um, how hard it is to end a book and, like, thinking about that. But that's not where I'm at. I'm not worrying about the ending the book part. I'm worrying about the uh, the limbo that I am in right now. Because, like, okay. Mm, I can see things that should be edited at this point. Mm, I can yeah. see things. And as I just said, I I can't even talk about writing this book without talking about how much I need to cut out of it, which is like a terrible place for your brain to be. 
when you're supposed to be writing. Like, editing is super important, but editing and writing are not the same thing. And if you're trying to, like, finish something, editing is maybe not always super your friend. Um, so there's also the, the interesting thing going on where, of course, I'm making Lucy read this as I'm writing it. <laughs> and, um, that means that we're both in this kind of weird place where there's only so much editing she can mention or ask me to do without totally derailing me. Mm-hmm. And she ha- knows it from the inside. But then so she has to suffer because she knows that maybe there should be edits, but she like can't really tell me that or else I will stall out and not finish. And I know there are edits and I and I think about it, but I can't really do it other than an edit that will help me move forward, which happens. Like there are definitely times where you realize you need to completely erase like three pages of writing. Like, like you're like, wow, that is 1200 words I wrote that just are holding me back from being able to get to the next scene because I sort of drifted. Like that's happened a lot in this end part for me. I'm really (laughs) struggling with that too. Because like for the whole rest of the book, you can kind of drift a little bit and get back on course and like, you'll go edit it later. It's fine. There is no space for drifting now. We are like aiming in a place and I'm trying to do some slight misdirection at the end. But I also need to bring all the elements together. And oh my god, oh my god, it's terrible. So, So that's like the struggle I'm having is that My brain wants to edit, but that will stop me from finishing it. But finishing it is a little bit difficult if I know that maybe I need to go back and fix something that will help the end make sense. And then on top of it, it's like, I literally like to get through this finish line, I need my my people like Lucy who are reading this for me, like Lucy and my partners who are reading this with me. I need their feedback to like keep my morale up so that I can do it. Mm, Yeah. But I also need them to be exceptionally gentle. (laughs) And that's so irritating. So Lucy, I need your perspective on this. And I'm really also interested in how you approach reading somebody's work in progress. Because you had to do that in, in like, grad level classes, let alone as like, it, it, it like in times when you've been an editor, like in it, working with somebody professionally, like you've had to do this in varying, varying places that are like more professional than I've ever had to do it. But then also you've had to know me for a long time. And I've definitely <laughs> given you a lot of like, work in progress pieces. So help me talk to me. Yeah, it's, it's always kind of interesting. Because so the, the different the things you just described, the different ways I've had to do this, I basically just approach it way differently. Like, if I were editing this book, like if it were, you know, I, an editor, had it at my desk and it was my responsibility to edit it, it for one thing, wouldn't be work in progress. So it would be a little little cleaner. Not that yours is not clean. I'd be a little more polished. It would be further along. You'd also be in a, di- like you would, a- the the author would be in a different mental state. Like you would be expecting <laughs> like big changes. Yeah. And so that I would sit down and I would read it at my desk with the Word document open with track changes on, which is a, a, a component of Word that lets you like, it just, it literally tracks the edits and the changes you make and lets you like add notes and stuff, but also lets you toggle it on and off so that you can either see all the notes or you can see none of the notes and just see the finished product as it currently yeah. is and just bless track changes. See. Yeah. Yeah. It's so useful. Um, so I'd be doing that if this were like a job, but um, what we're talking about kind of right now is a bit more of like when you're in a writing group or something, like when you're reading chapter by chapter more or less as it's being written and that i see the reader's job is more like to 
you're kind of a morale booster. I mean, you want to point out if there are like big problems or something, but I find it's more useful to point out when you have questions because that could be intentional or not. You know, it's it's not like it's like yeah. a neutral statement. It's like I'm really wondering about this, yeah. and that can either either tell the writer they're doing the right thing or be like, oh. I didn't know that. I'll make sure to address that in the yeah. next scene. Because it can be really whatever. satisfying to get mm -hmm. that question, right? Like, really satisfying to have somebody just say, like, oh, man, I'm really wondering what's going to happen with that obvious villain that you just introduced. And I'm just like, yeah, I want you to wonder. I'm so thrilled. And there are <laughs> other times where somebody's like, wow, I'm really wondering where this is going to go. And you're like, ha ha, me too, because that was sort of an exploratory writing thing that shouldn't be there, but it's there. And now I have to decide whether it should stay there or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I find myself, especially like this, this time specifically, I think the edits I've been giving you mostly are like context issues um like you're this story is set in like the 90s so the i feel like the most things i'm pointing out as actual potential changes are when i'm like i don't remember what this device is i realize i was nearly this age in the the 90s but i don't remember what this thing is <laughs> yeah i <laughs> or, think wow, the characters is... are like four to five years older than us mm. but like that's it so there's a little bit of like i will also say like like okay to be honest, Lucy was like, I don't know what a hi-fi is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So your reader will not know what a hi-fi is either. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's totally true. <laughs> and kids have Google on their phones now. But kids do. It but my point to... was more. No, but it's I'm true. Confused. It's true. <laughs> if I could, but it's also one of those places where it's like, okay, or I could just describe it as a stereo, and that's all we already going to be kind of like retro and confusing. But at least it's something that they are almost certainly aware of, like that that's a music thing, right? Yeah. So like, there's I I could play around with it. Like it is weird to do something that's kind of a period piece and trying to give just the hint of it being like really that era. But for people who don't know what that era is like, so you're trying to portray it for them because this is a YA novel. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's not something I'm writing to people who grew up in the 90s. It's, I'm trying to write to people about growing up in the 90s. So, yeah. That's fun. Yeah, and like, I did instantly Google what a hi fi was, but I didn't, <laughs> I, because it's so close to the word Wi Fi. That's where yes. my brain went first. And then I, I was like, what is this thing? It sounds very familiar. But so it that's an instance where it's not necessarily a thing you have to change. It's just a thing I want you to be aware of. So you're very conscious of what you're doing. Yeah. And it was interesting. Like we've had a couple of cool conversations, which have been really helpful because again, like we shared some of our 90s or early mm -hmm. 2000s anyway, childhood with each other. So there were some nice moments of being able to like, okay, what what were we talking about in like 2001 or 2002? Like what, what language did we use at the time? And that's been kind of helpful as well. So it's like some of those conversations have just been like totally inspirational and like really, really useful, even though they sound like they would be kind of nitty gritty word choice things you shouldn't do in a first pass. They were still useful because they were sort of like a guiding thing for us to think about like moving forward like how, what kind of language I want to use like that has been fine because stuff like that where you're addressing like tone how much information you're giving the reader like that's big stuff that someone should be kind of aware of as they write because it's a lot harder to go and change that after the fact so, <laughs> so if you can kind of like address that as it's happening some which of is that ideal stuff, for this yeah some of that stuff is the if you don't nail it that's what might mean you have to rewrite your whole book um yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, well, I, I infamously <laughs> had to rewrite an entire thing because I changed the tense and the, um, like, POV. Oh, dear. 
Yeah, I had to completely redo it from the ground up because it was so different. Like, there was just, it changed the complete tone. There was no one-to-one thing I could do. Yeah, you couldn't just find and replace a character's name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've definitely had to do that before. Oh, yeah. Um, my side characters tend to have really generic, boring names, which also are really generic in ways that are very telling about what generation I am. Um, so then I have to go address and be like, is this name common in whatever setting this is? Would it have been just a regular name? Should they be more memorable? Like, yeah, all that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think about that all the time, too. Yeah, it, it's funny, because as you were saying this, I realized that... Um, well, my main project is not at this stage. My old project that I keep bringing up because it's haunting me is kind of <laughs> at this project and has been at this, I mean, or is kind of, it is kind of at this place and has been for a long time. It's uh, really hard. It's a hard place to be in when you're like, wow, I just need to end it. And I, especially like, especially if you kind of know how it's supposed to end, like you mm-hmm. do know, it's just you have to pull it off. And the whole rest of the story has been, you've been practicing tension and getting there. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm not in, I'm not like, I haven't practiced resolving things. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's that about? <laughs> yeah. And and there's a lot like, emotionally, there's a lot riding on it because like, you're going to be done with this thing you've been working on. And that's, I mean, you're yeah. not going to be done, done by any means, but you're going to be it's not going to be new and fresh this way again. Like it, it's yeah. not. Well, it's I true. suppose if you do another draft or another complete rewrite, it will be. But still, I've like, done it's... a lot of rewrites of this to get yeah. that feeling again, and it's time <laughs> to break the addiction and to finish it. It is scary to say goodbye to something where you like it's been it's become cozy, and all of a sudden you're going to have to view it not as a world to go explore, but as something that needs to be like polished and cleaned up and you have to remove things. And it's scary. Like it's, it's not super fun, but when you get into editing, it is super fun. Like yeah. it is really exciting when you're, when your brain shifts over into that kind of mode where it's like, yes, I could just improve this. Like, wait a minute. I have good word choice. I just didn't when I was writing that at two o'clock <laughs> in the morning and just had to get the scene done. I can now rewrite the scene and make it sound amazing because I know what I'm doing with, with it and all that throat clearing at the beginning where I was just trying to figure out where it was going is eliminated. Like, it's a good feeling. But that's the other problem is I kind of want that feeling. I kind of want that now. And that's also not finishing my book. So it's uh. so that's where I am. I was going to say about that, that like one of the problems that I have had in the past when I have shared a work in progress with people that in the last, I don't know, in my like, professional adult life, I've been a lot better about just not letting this happen. But when I was in writing groups in like, like college and right afterward, there was just this sense of like, everyone was so excited to flex that they knew how to edit people's work, that they couldn't stop doing it through for a work in progress. And it really can just destroy a project. It can just hold it up so completely. I think that's part of, part of why I asked you what your approach is, and why it was really helpful for you to mention that like, when you're professionally editing something, like, Tell me, like, you almost, like, professional editors won't really work on a work in progress unless it is something they're developing with the author, like, as yeah. a very, like, as a team project, like, unless it is very much a thing where they're like, okay, this has to, we got to get this done together, this is happening. It's like, you just wouldn't do that because you can't actually edit it if you don't know where it's going, right? Yeah, I mean, I think even in the, in a case where, um, like, you have an established author who is 
you know, g- pitching ideas, not finished manuscripts, you know? Even in that case, it's not, uh, okay, show me what you've got. You, I mean, you might show them the first few chapters, but it's they're not, it's going to be like, okay, let me know when that's done. Or, okay, give me the manuscript in six months, or whatever. It's, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm sure some editors are a little bit more hands-on, but typically as... And even this kind of editor, you are not seeing works in progress. You are seeing at least a completed draft. It may have another draft or many to go, but you're not seeing like, here's another five chapters and another two chapters and another, you know, four chapters. You're not getting the little little bits and pieces like that. And um, yeah, that's kind of definitely a thing I had to sort of learn how to navigate better. Because now what I do is, if I'm reading something like this, where it's, you know, usually a friend's work, and they're wanting kind of just, like, first opinions, like, will this appeal to an audience? You know, is this hitting the tone I want? All that. I just read it like a book. Like, I I put the file onto my my e-reader. I read it before bed. I try and just kind of enjoy being in the story. Like, I'm not trying to um, look too hard at things to, to fix, move around, or, you know, how I would do things differently. Like, I'm just kind of trying to let myself get absorbed in the story. And then later, if we want to do a second draft, or a second, later, if we want to do a second um, pass, then I might go um, harder and do more, like, specific Put on more of the editing cap and, and, and yeah. um, give more like little substantive changes. But uh, you know, for this type of thing, I really just try and have fun with it and just you know try and and just be enjoying it the way like a casual reader would. Um, so trying to give them as much of a like emotional response to it as I can, so that they're kind of able to feed off that and keep going and not actually cause that like. Well, now I have to rewrite the entire first chapter because they pointed out that this scene doesn't make sense. Doesn't matter. That scene might make sense later. That scene might never make it off of this draft. It's it's fine. Don't yeah. worry about that scene. <laughs> you shouldn't be rewriting a whole lot of a first draft while you're writing the first draft because you may cut out those scenes entirely. And so the days you spent rewriting it is totally lost time that you don't need to do. It's really it is interesting, I think, to to have this approach to a work in progress as being like, well, it needs to be perfect as I'm going. And we've discussed serials before, and when you are doing a serial, you do have to do this. But each chunk of that serial, whatever the installment is, whether it's an episode or a chapter or a paragraph or whatever weird format you're using, they're all great, right? But like, those will need to be edited. And often, it's way more going to just be copy editing that you're really asking for um because no one can actually know where you're going with it it's not done so they don't know where it's going so they can't edit for like so the editing for clarity is one thing and i would also you know like i'm going to back up a little bit and say that for some people editing for clarity is more important because they it may just be something about how they write where it's more exploratory or they're a little non-linear in their own thinking so the difference between their final draft and their first draft is going to be very big because like, again, like it just may not be super clear what's going on in their writing. Like it just, it's just how they are. And it doesn't make you a bad writer for that to be where you are, but it may also be harder for someone to read a work in progress. Mm -hmm. If it's, if it's has sort of like a more muddled format or if it's missing scenes, if a work in progress is something where it's skipping around in the book and then you're filling back in as opposed to writing like in that linear like literally writing each word as it happens in the story (laughs) which is just it's it's totally valid to write that way it is way harder for someone to read that casually because you are going to be taken out of it when there's just missing scenes 
Um, so it's like some of those things might just kind of change the approach someone would have to a work in progress. Um, and maybe change it, you know, maybe even change how much they can really read it for anything other than encouraging and being there for you. Um, but I do think that there's something to just caution anybody if you are, if you think you're supposed to be getting excessive, like really specific editorial feedback as you're going so that the first draft will be perfect by the time you've written it because it's been edited as you go. I can imagine this may work for someone because of some quirk to how they write. It's really not how it is largely bad, though. <laughs> like, this is a thing that may hold a lot of people back. It's not like the done thing for how people write. So it can be helpful to know that that's not actually like the industry standard of how writing and editing goes. <laughs> like, like it may, like, I'm not saying it can't work for anybody where it's like actually bad and wrong. I'm, like, I'm sorry that I said bad. It's more just like, it's not the, you're not doing something, there's not that something wrong with you as a writer if you feel really tanked when somebody has like a really specific neglect, like when somebody's like, it's not some that there is a problem with you as a writer if you have a hard time taking criticism for a work in progress. It's kind of not a great way to approach a work in progress. Yeah, and it's also like, um, part of it, you know, when you're on the editing side, you kind of have to figure out how to like correctly navigate which thing someone is expecting from you. But you yes. as a as an author also have to learn how to explain that when you're giving someone your work in progress. And I mean, you, you sometimes don't think about it as, as much, but like I will definitely I don't I don't frequently give people work in progress stuff, but I give I've given you a few things where they're really yeah. far along. And that I'll be like, okay, just let me know if things don't make sense or if like the voice sounds wrong. Like those are the things I'm caring about. Otherwise I just really need like motivation to keep going. So just like help me let like ha have a let me have a person to talk this out at. That's what I need most. Um so it it's good to know like both what you want and what you expect to get so that both you and the person reading your, your work in progress are on the same page. And then you're going to get the best and the most helpful kind of feedback from. Absolutely. So you have a slightly different problem than I'm having because I'm almost at the end and I'm all stalled out and it's a mess. And you are having a hard time finding time to write. Yeah. And it's, it's not even that it's finding the time. It's like, correctly using the time um because now i've been on summer break and i thought i'd have a lot more time and it's just that i'm bad at prioritizing the writing and this is kind of why for me writing nights have always worked really well where i'll have like either a physical night where you know me and friends be in a cafe and write together or like we've been doing on twitter where we have like uh, join in join us for our wednesday writing nights by the way guys on twitter yes. <laughs> where we just are kind of all just you know tweeting and looking at prompts and like just like you know, someone to check in with at that time to hold you to that weekly, you know, writing habit. Um, because I'm just really bad. Like, I really like it when I'm writing every day, but it's just, it always is the thing that just gets pushed back, pushed back, pushed back throughout my day. And when I was um, in college, it was much easier for me to just, sure, it's 10 o'clock at night, I can write for a couple hours and just go. And I've really found that a lot harder to do, even now that I am in school again. Like, my, my life is just not structured in as much as a way, or in, in as much of a way that lets me do that well i guess if i hit a certain point i'm just tired and i just want to go to bed and i'm not enjoying the writing it's not like enough to energize me and wake me up and get me into it um unless it is but it's harder for me to have that be the way yeah. I, I end every day <laughs> yeah 
And I mean, for me, there, for me, there's something kind of interesting here where not this draft of this book. Oh goodness, please, please, universe, don't be mad at me for how many times I've drafted this book over my life. Um, <laughs> this one for sure, though, everybody. Like, no, and and I'm I'm being sort of facetious and sort of like overdramatic about it, but like actually, I am a drastically better writer at this point. <laughs> like, I know so much more about writing a story than I did when you know when I was a high schooler. Who would have thought? That like, <laughs> who would have thought that 15 years later, you'd be better at something? It's great. Um, <laughs> but there was a draft of this where it ended up being something I worked on in the morning, mm. because that was the time that no one like needed anything from me. Mm-hmm. Like I would wake up early just to write because I was so excited to be working on it. And that worked for a while for this draft. I can say that for this draft, there have been nights where I went to bed at two or three in the morning because the writing just didn't want to happen until 11 p.m. <laughs> but then once it was happening, I was like, okay, we're going to ride this because I may not have another day to write this week. So I've been lucky that I have that time. But the the other thing, like there is always this little bit of like, you can write every day. And if it's for 10 minutes, that 10 minutes every day is a couple, like that's that's a good hour by the end of the week. It's a little over an hour. And that may be the only time somebody else reserves in their week. So I, I there's a little bit of like, man, if you can give yourself a little bit of that like free time and maybe take some of this pressure off of it and remind yourself that, yeah, half an hour is enough time to write. Like, it's not that half an hour, it's like, well, if I only have half an hour today, you're like, yeah, but half an hour is plenty. Like, half an hour is enough time to reread the last little chunk you wrote and to think about it a little bit. Um, The other thing for me for prioritizing this is to kind of give myself, like, if I'm doing chores, instead of putting on music or a podcast, it's like, it's time to have a story meeting with myself (laughs) while I'm doing dishes. I don't do the dishes in my house. I'm totally lying about doing the dishes, but I will, but like I do clean up other <laughs> aspects of the house or folding <laughs> laundry, something that doesn't take a whole lot of brain power. Um, it's to turn that into story meeting time so that you're doing the thinking part of writing when you're not writing. And that gets me more excited to actually sit down and write. It makes the writing feel like I can prioritize it because it is at the top of my brain. Mm -hmm. And boy, is that stuff all really hard to do during a pandemic and when your state is on fire and when your friends are being threatened by like a white supremacist state, like really hard to think about your story when that is what's on your mind. And there are definitely times where that's okay. Like, it's great to be actually focused on these other things when you need to take care of a problem. But when it's sort of the difference between like, well, I could be worrying while I do the dishes, or I could be zoning out while I'm doing the laundry, or I could actually like try to get back into my world. That's one of the ways that I find that I can learn how to prioritize again, is to like, not just have, well, here's the half hour where like where, where I think about the project, but to try to seed that thinking earlier in the day so that there are other times it's like not just prioritizing button chair writing time but also giving myself time to think and i wonder if that might help yeah uh, i have found a little bit uh, i'm trying to make my evening walks be like writing thought time like you were like you were describing where i don't listen to a podcast or uh, i don't usually have music either i'm just going for a walk um and that seems to help i i I might try and do it in the mornings again because that would probably like I, i would like to make it be like before i can do other things i have to do 20 minutes of writing or something like i need to put it 
ahead of things. But once I'm back in school, it's really hard to rationalize that when I like have all of these constant due dates. So, you know, we'll see about that. But uh, what I might do is for a while, I had like a deal with myself where as long as I opened the manuscript and looked at it like that, that was the goal was to at least open it and look at it, do something in that document. Didn't have to be writing. It could just be reading. It could just be like skimming to see what I'd done. But just like once it's open, it's much easier to do to it actually is. get to the writing. So I might try and get back to that where at least before I like shut my computer off at the end of the night, I open up the document and like say hello to it. <laughs> hey, or try doing that in the morning when you turn the computer on. Yeah, yeah, that might be a good If you idea. open it up and better. yeah, if you open it up and look at it in the morning, then there's a whole day of knowing it's there waiting for you. Mm -hmm. Um That's true. and that may just and that may be stressful, which eh, don't do it, but it may also be like more opportunities. I was thinking about about that where I was like, "Oh, I really do have problems where once I have closed a document, look, I'm a slob. My desktop is a slob. My desktop and <laughs> both of my computers are total slobs." It's bad. But um, I know that I am less likely to open a document ever again once I've closed it. And that is a wild thing to admit to the world. Um, <laughs> so I can tell you that I have sort of bypassed this problem by just not closing that document. And I do close it because when I save out a work in progress to send to somebody, I do save it out as like a new number. So it's also part of how I have a lot of backups. Because mm, it's just, I have you, a backup for each stage. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> also feel like it, it very easy. <laughs> that is my hope, is that in every way that it's like, it's like, that's my kind of being organized. That's as mm -hmm. organized as I'm gonna get. Um, <laughs> but that has actually been really helpful for me. And I know that sounds kind of wacky, but there's a little bit of like it just being there so I can casually saunter over and like reread a sentence and like type a little bit on it and delete something and take a look again. The fact that there is no barrier to entry for me mm -hmm. has been a big deal for me about making sure I get things done. It's sort of been ever since I graduated college, I had to, to like restructure my life to remove the barriers for entry that were keeping me from doing things because I get really hung up on process. I, I find complicated processes to be very difficult. I have a lot of executive dysfunction problems. And so if I remove things, <laughs> like, I just don't really turn my computers off very often. Um, I just don't <laughs> because I don't want to have to get my workspace set up every day. The, and I can understand that the ritual of doing that may be like a key to somebody else's creativity. But for me, that would keep me from ever doing it. I'm like, well, my computer's not even set up. So of course I could just play Animal Crossing for three more hours. <laughs> like I can't let myself do that. I have to like actually keep things ready to go. It's also, it is kind of annoying to be finding my reference photos and opening everything up. Like I am, yeah. I'm, I'm more organized than you think. I have folders for everything and all my projects. The problem is that's a lot of folders to keep track of. So I just kind of keep things open until it's time to close it before my computer sets itself on fire in <laughs> protest. I don't think that that's really horrible. I because I mean, especially because you're constantly using those. Like it is your um your workstation. Like you are literally your work in progress. All of it is on that computer or or a few computers. It's like yeah. when when I'm in a big sewing project, I don't put it away every night at the end of the no, day. No, that would like, be wild. 
Yeah, I might if I'm going to not work on it for two weeks because I'm going to finals or something, but I think what you're doing, it totally makes sense. Uh, it does remind me, for a while I was writing a lot on my iPad. Well, periodically, that's what I'll do, is I'll write a lot on my iPad because that, I can just open it. I don't have to, like, turn the computer on if the computer's not on. Yeah. Because right? I, don't, I don't use my desktop. Well, I've been using it a lot this summer, but I typically don't use it necessarily every day because I'll do, like, homework on my laptop downstairs and then I might not actually, like... Anything I'm doing during the day other than that is probably just on my phone. So the, the you know, the barrier ha of having to turn the desktop on is sometimes too much. There's definitely yeah. been a day where I literally just have my iPad with its little keyboard sitting at my desk. I just push back the keyboard to my actual computer and I'm just typing at my desk on my iPad with my computer turned off. And it feels a little silly, but, you know, it gets around yeah. that, like, that it's one barrier. It's what you gotta barrier. do to trick your brain into working instead <laughs> of just panicking and and then protecting itself in a little like protective covering of of like daydreaming and and sleep which are great <laughs> yeah. like daydreaming and sleep are incredibly important things that you need to do but if that's all your brain wants to do because you're in panic mode because guess what the world is very panic inducing it's like yeah anything to remove that barrier is good I think that was kind of interesting that we ended up talking about, like, what are the barriers between you and working on this book? I mean, the other thing is, like, getting chances to talk about it is nice. Yeah. You know, like, keeping it alive in your head is another one of those ways where you're like, oh, I haven't thought about my project in three days. The other thing is, like, if you haven't thought about your project in three days, what can you add to it that will keep it at the forefront of your brain? Like, is it missing an element where you're like, well, if there were more lesbians, I would love my book more. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's me. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> there are moments where you're just like, does someone need a pet? Because I just want to mm -hmm. talk about my friend's dog. Like, sometimes you need to think about that. Like, and I don't mean Lucy necessarily, but sometimes that is a way to deal with like, wow, I can't prioritize the book. Is it because the book is missing key elements to make me love it more? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not a thing you would ever do with like a relationship or something that needs to be prioritized. You you can't say like, well, if you had a cute dog, I'd like you more. So maybe you should get a cute dog. Like you can't do that to a human being. <laughs> no. It will not help. But for a creative project, that may be a helpful thing. You're just like, oh, I'm not prioritizing this. Could it be like 2% more fun? Like, is there something I can do that will make me excited? And that is definitely something I have done where I was like, well, I can't stop thinking about disco and new wave music and how they're related and how they relate to queer culture. So I'll put some of that in my book. And I haven't done the most fully realized version of that. Like I intend to kind of go back through and clean it up. But just the fact that I get to talk about a, an album or a song I really like will kind of keep me in the moment sometimes for my project. <laughs> like it will yeah. help me prioritize. It's like, what are the other things that are distracting me? And can I put them in my project so that it all works for me? I'm really, really trying to, like, get everything in my life to synergize. <laughs> it can work for me. I am not amazingly good at this, but some of the things have helped, and that's mm -hmm. exciting. Well, I think on that note, it's time to get back to writing. <laughs> it is. It is. I hope you're excited. I hope you want to write more this week. I do. I do. Because I want to read more. Okay. So, Robin, I'll make you a deal. If you mm -hmm. write for me, I'll write for you. Deal. Happy writing. Bye.